Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. Children of the 80s are back to review one of their childhood favorites. I'm Patrick. I'm Lori. Hey, I'm Shane. And this week we're reviewing 1988's Working Girl with Harrison Ford, Melanie Griffith, and Sigourney Weaver. Uh, but before we get to our review of this film, first a word from our sponsor. Are you in a rut at work? Is your guilt getting in your way of your advancement? can't climb the corporate ladder due to those pesky ethical dilemmas? Well, try new Ethics Be Gone and watch those ethical dilemmas disappear. Ethics Be Gone removes all your troubling moral obstacles and allows you to become the cold-hearted and distrusted individual you need to be to succeed in business. Bothered by stealing your secretary's idea for a business merger? Use Ethics Be Gone. Feeling guilty about using your boss's extensive wardrobe to try to impersonate a hotshot businesswoman, which, wink, you are not, use Ethics Be Gone. Reluctant about crashing a family wedding in order to further your career and plan? Use Ethics Be Gone. Unsure about lying to the, quote, love of your light, unquote, about who you really are? Use Ethics Be Gone. Ethics Be Gone can help you hurdle the hardworking to make your dreams come true. Ethics Be Gone, from the successful creators of Morals Be Gone, the little pill that takes away all your religious guilt. Ethics Be Gone comes in cherry, vanilla, chocolate, and new tequila flavor. Ethics Be Gone, become the corporate ass that you've always dreamed of. All right, that's the best I can come up with. Sorry. <laughs> all right, uh, I, I have the summary. Tess McGill, played by Melanie Griffith with a coked out bloat, is a stockbroker's secretary from Staten Island. She has a bachelor's degree from night school, so of course, she can take on the world. And Tess doesn't just want to be the head of the secretary pool, she wants an executive position. Unfortunately, she can't get anyone to take her seriously, probably due to that horrible accent, Tess. After getting in trouble again, she's reassigned to a new financial executive, Catherine Parker, played by Ellen fucking Ripley herself, Sigourney Weaver. Catherine encourages Tess to be open with her ideas, which screams backstabbing bitch immediately. Unfortunately, Tess shares a good idea about a potential merger, and Catherine says she will check into it. However, soon after, Catherine tells her that the idea won't work. Meanwhile, back at home, Tess's boyfriend, who looks a lot like Jack Ryan, is cheating on her with one of her friends. Feeling alone, Tess doesn't know which way to go. Shortly afterwards, Catherine breaks her leg in a skiing accident while on vacation, and she asks Tess to run her life for her until she is well enough to travel. While taking care of some of Catherine's personal items for her, Tess discovers a message where Catherine was going to use Tess's idea as her own. Feeling betrayed and lied to, Tess decides to betray and lie too, and soon tries to make the deal work on her own. She sets up shop at Catherine's apartment since her boss will be gone for a while. And since this is a fantasy film, all of Catherine's expensive dresses fit her. Tess sets up a meeting with Jack Trainer, a business contact of Catherine's, in the hopes he can help make Tess's business deal go through. 
Once she meets Jack, she starts to fall for him. Because, just like her boyfriend, he looks like Jack Ryan, too. Jack and Tess begin to put together the merger deal for Task Industries. Jack believes that Tess is a legitimate executive because she has the requisite shoulder pads and bad professional haircut. The two begin to lie and cheat their way to a business deal, including crashing Trask's daughter's wedding. Tess and Jack begin to fall in love and soon sleep together. Soon after, Catherine announces that she is returning home, and Tess must clean Catherine's apartment with a spirited run of topless vacuuming. Once Catherine... (laughs) (laughs) I knew Shane would like that. All right. (laughs) Once Catherine returns, she announces that she wants to get serious with her boyfriend, Jack Trainer. Tess is appalled that she has slept with her boss's boyfriend, but still meets up with Jack to close the deal with Trask. Catherine gets wind of Tess's plan and shows up to take credit for the deal and expose Tess for being the lowly secretary that she is. A few days later, the meeting to close the deal is reset, with Catherine leading the plan now with Jack. Tess is present before the meeting to pack her things and go. Jack, for some reason, chooses to stick with Tess over Catherine. Tess, and her Yoda-like wisdom, has new information that, that may impact the deal. She shares that information with Trask, who then confronts Catherine about how she came up with the idea for the merger in the first place. When Catherine fails to come up with a response, because that is how stupid her character has become in the film, Trask tells her to go back into her office and take one last long look around, although Catherine doesn't even work for him. Trask offers Tess an entry-level job with his company, telling her that she'll have to work her way up. Tess and Jack begin their new life together, and Tess finds out that this time she has a secretary at the new office that she can begin shitting all, all over to. And that is Working Girl. Makes me want to watch it again. All right. <laughs> all right. Working Girl numbers. Released December 23rd, 1988, same week as uh, a smorgasbord of films, Beaches, Dangerous Liaisons, The Accidental Tourist, Talk Radio, and Hellbound Hellraiser 2, all released two days before Christmas. Same month as Tequila Sunrise, Rain Man, Twins, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, grossed over $63 million in the United States and over $102 million worldwide, was the 11th grossing film of 1988 behind The Naked Gun, From the Files of Police Squad, Cocktail, and Beetlejuice, and, and right in front of A Fish Called Wanda, Scrooged, and Willow. Nominated for six Academy Awards, winning one. One for Best Song, Let the River Run by Carly Simon. Lost Best Picture to Rain Man. Lost Best Actress, Melanie Griffith lost to Jodie Foster for The Accused. Lost Best Supporting Actress two times over. Joan Cusack and Sigourney Weaver were both nominated from this film, and they both lost to Gina Davis for The Accidental Tourist. And Lost Best Director, Mike Nichols, lost to Barry Levinson for Rain Man. Is was number 10 on Gene Siskel's list of best films of 1988 on several AFI lists. Uh, 2002, 100 Years, 100 Passions was number 91. On 2003, 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains, both Tess McGill and Catherine Parker were both nominated for Hero and Villain. Uh, 2004, <laughs> 100 Years, 100 Songs, Let the River Run was ranked number 91. 2005, 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes. What's the most famous f- quote from this film, Shane? From um, Working Girl? Yeah. Uh, you you would put me s- on the spot? Yeah. Because I would... I don't know. 100 movies, 100 quotes. What What would... You- um, I don't know. Laurie? I'm trying to think of what, what quotes I remember. I remember when... when uh, what does she say about her... 
when she's and and he repeats it. She says something like her tight white ass or something. Do you remember bony that? Ass. Oh, bony. Well, yeah, no, maybe not a bony that. ass. No. Um, Sorry, I, I have no. a head for business and a bod for sin. Was oh, nominated oh for that's right. That was the catchphrase. That's right. Uh, I hate that line. That's why I forgot. <laughs> I, I don't. I find it kind of unremarkable. Uh, 2006, 100 Years, 100 Cheers, ranked number 87. And in 2008, 10 top 10s nominated for... It was nominated, but did not make the top 10 for nominated romantic comedy film. Uh, in 2017, was announced <laughs> in June 2017 that they are developing it into a Broadway musical, being music being created by Cindy Lauper. Awesome! <laughs> All right. Uh, the mm. 80s are calling, Lori. But... Uh, they have to keep the original song. I'm sure. Sh- the original song. Why say original well, was- song? <laughs> song. So Rod. But they Ma- used. Boy, did they work that song through the whole movie? They did. Even the chandelier scene with the <laughs> organ. Music. I know. Oh, I, there was so many multiple variations mm-hmm. of that Carly Simon song, from instrumentals to like choir versions. It uh, even when she was topless doing the um, vacuuming, vacuuming. There was another version. <laughs> It's right. very titillating. <laughs> All right. Rotten Tomatoes has an 84% critics and 67% audience. So that's the number on not numbers on Working Girl. Working Girl has what is my favorite actor, Harrison Ford, and that's why I even saw this in the theater back in 1988. Uh, although this is a hard watch for me. <laughs> this is a hard film for me to watch, mainly for Melanie Griffith. So uh, let's start with her. Uh, Melanie Griffith. What do you guys think of her in general, and what do you think of her in this film? I don't really have a strong opinion about her. I haven't seen her, and in, in, she she really hasn't been in very much, right? Especially the, recently. It, well, not recently, but from the 90s to the early 2000s, she was pretty prolific. This is probably of what I have seen her in. This is my, my favorite. I love her in this film. I think she really shines. I was very disappointed to read that she was a drug addict at the time of making this film that kind of tarnished it a little bit for me to think that when um, I I read that when they did the scene at the engagement party, they had to delay it and they docked her like $75,000 in pay because, because of it, because she was unable to even speak her lines that that was sad to hear. I'm glad that she cleaned up, but She's just so beautiful in this movie. She just glows, and I and I just think she was perfect for the part of Tess. And I, I just I just think that she was great at it. Now, other things I've seen her in, I I didn't think she was. I, I thought she was okay, but but this, this movie, I, it's almost like it was written for her. This was a star-making showcase for Melanie Griffith, and she was on fire at the time. Uh, body double, something wild. I remember seeing both those films. And, yeah, I think she had a lot of dramas behind the scenes. She either was already broken up with Don Johnson or had broken up with him or in the process of it, so that wouldn't have been too good for her in the behind the scenes. Uh, but this was just an amazing performance. I think she's terrific, except for her hair. She has the worst hair with Joan Cusack at the opening scenes when they're on but that, that was, ferry. That was the hair of the 80s. <laughs> Did you ever have hair? Did you have she hair did. like that, Lori? She did. Not, not that high. <laughs> not that high, but you had it. You had no. it pretty high. Half, half of that, half that high. I have yes, the pictures to prove it. 
those whole opening scenes uh, at credits where the overhead shot, tracking shot towards the ferry across the water of New York, I, I mean, it was very well, great start, and that music. That is one of my favorite scenes in cinema. Just the, the, It's just the perfect chem, it's just the perfect combination of music and the cinematography, and when I finally did go to New York City, I, I thought of that. You know, I just love yep. when it opens with the Statue of Liberty. I love how the film ends with her in the window and yep. then it pans out. I just, those are two hooks, of my... It just hooks you in straight away. It's a great opening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there has to be an ace here. And Melanie Griffith is the female version of Keanu Reeves. She chooses good roles, but she's not good in anything. Not anything even in this, in this no she's horrible in this she she no, causes me to, her voice i disagree it's I, good I, I, she causes me to cringe every time i see her in a film every time and this this film is no exception because i like sigourney weaver in it i like harrison ford in it i like to see him playing comedy i like to see him kind of loosen up and have some fun but there's nothing about her character that I find captivating or interesting at all. And I think it's because I just don't like Melanie Griffith. I, I think the story is fine. I just don't like her as an actress. And this is the first film that I could recall. I I saw Body Double, but I don't remember her in it uh, back in the day. I'm sure I saw it before I saw Working Girl. I, I know I didn't see uh, something wild before I saw Working Girl, but... From the moment I saw this film, I was going, God, that actress is just driving me up the wall. Her voice drives me up the wall. Everything about her drives me up the wall. And I never, I did not like, I didn't want her to end up with Harrison Ford because Harrison Ford was this is my favorite actor, you know, at the time. And well, even to this day, he pretty much is. But he just, I just like, I please go with the bitchy skinny one, Sigourney no, Weaver. No, <laughs> she was horrible. Yes, that's what she I thought. Of, that's I what I thought of Melanie Weaver. Griffith as well. So no, the character, <laughs> the character I is the fine. The I, character. I, I, if you want to white out all her ethical dilemmas and all the, the shit that she does wrong throughout the, the whole film where she she's doing things questionable, which is kind of where I got the ad from, was that, you know, yeah, I guess you can put it that she's just trying to she's just trying to further her own career by going to a guy's hey. family wedding and crashing it, trying to force a deal, lying to she this stole man. She her idea first. Oh, yeah. so that gives just trying should, to get credit for her idea. And if the only person that that potentially would have punished would have been Sigourney Weaver, then I would say she was justified. But everything that she does after that, you know, as far as putting, you know, Harrison Ford's character into a pickle that he potentially could have his career destroyed potentially because of her overreaching in that regard or crashing the wedding to go and meet with this guy just so that she could further her own career. That's not just, that's not revenge in Sigourney Weaver. That's just, that's furthering her own, her own career. She is just as evil as Sigourney Weaver, except for she's not crapping all over anybody else, except for Jack Trainer, the Harrison Ford character. Now, the logistics of the plot, I understand what you're saying. Uh, how she might have been a little bit evil, but she was putting these... I don't think Sigourney Weaver, was, as character, was actually listening to any of the ideas that Tess was saying. So Tess did it herself. It just happened that her boss broke a leg and was not supposed to be moved, moved for two weeks. So Tess took her own initiative to <clears throat> get these things done and in the process work her way up the ladder. Yeah, she she capitalized on it. She took advantage of it the same way Sigourney Weaver possibly would have taken advantage of her good idea. 
So she's just as evil. She's just she is just as much of a, a bitch as the, the Sigourney Weaver character is because she. But you're she, willing to forgive Catherine. No, Parker, I'm not willing to forgive her. No, no, I'm. The you only, said you hoped Harrison Ford ended up with her. No, that's because I don't like Melanie Griffiths, the actress. <laughs> so, it had nothing to do with the characters. It has everything to do with I can't stand her voice and I can't stand her look. I'd rather you end up with Sigourney Weaver. Go be with Ripley. That's a better place for you to be. You you and Ripley go and have little you know replicant children who fight aliens. That's little what Blade I Runners. Yeah, little Blade Runners <laughs> run around. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Harrison Ford and Blade Runner, I recently watched it again twice, and Harrison actually looks younger in this than he does in. Blade Runner. I don't know if it's the longer hair and maybe he's got more makeup on or something, but he actually looks younger in Working Girl than he does in Blade Runner, and they're about five or six years apart. Yeah, I think I think it's the hair, probably. <laughs> I really do. Is because floppy I, hair. Yeah, because the year at, or two years after this, he does Presumed Innocent. And he looks so much older in Presumed Innocent than he does for, in this or uh, Last Crusade, which he does in 1989. True. So and he and he goes back to that same hair, similar haircut to what he had in Blade Runner at that time. So, but no, I just can't stand Melanie Griffith. But what about Harrison Ford? Let's talk about my guy for a second, Lori. What do you think <laughs> of Harrison Ford? I love your guy too. <laughs> I love Harrison Ford. I have never seen a film that I did not love him in. May not have loved the character as much, but I love him, and I loved seeing him in a romantic-ish comedy. <laughs> um, and I thought he was wonderful. I, I love his character. This film, probably because of the age that it came out at, I worked at the movie theater when it came out, so I was constantly going in and, you know, helping break or or I would, you know, sneak in after work instead of going straight home just to watch it. This movie has had a deep impact on me. Just And I always remember him giving her the lunchbox. I just thought that was the sweetest scene. At the end? And yeah, yeah. I just love that. I, there's just, I always remember her when she's finally the boss and has a secretary and she says, if you're getting coffee, you can get me some, but I don't expect you to get it for me all the time. It's affected me how I treat coworkers. I mean, I don't know. This movie just had a, a big impact on me. And I think of this movie every time I hear "If I Only Had a Brain" too. What? Oh, because, because he's saying, it. "Oh, that's right." <laughs> yeah. I was going, "What?" <laughs> Shane Harrison Ford. Uh, look, Harry is ideal in the light comedy character, and everything Laurie just said. He's he's just irresistible in the lunchbox thing, and when he's taking his shirt off in the uh, in the office, and he just turns around and gives everyone a wave. He's looking at him and. Some of it, when he's drinking that cocktail through the straw when they're at the wedding and just little things like that. I think his comic timing and his reactions are spot on and just like everything else in this film. And you mentioned the end, Laurie. I didn't want to jump to it now, but seeing you mentioned it, I like how she doesn't lose touch with reality with that new office and says what she says to her new secretary. It, she didn't expect it, and um, I think she'd be a really good boss to work for, and that was the moral to the story. Absolutely. You know, it's not particularly one of my favorite Harrison Ford roles, and it's mainly because it's not a Harrison Ford film. It is a Melanie Griffith film, and it's, it's you know, he, he is a supporting character, although the lead actor in Billing, he, he's definitely a supporting character in the film, and that's, that's why I think I don't enjoy it as much as uh, probably 
you guys do is that I went to go see this because of Harrison Ford. That was it. It had nothing to do with, you know, Sigourney Weaver or Melanie Griffith, who was pretty much an unknown to me at the time. But I like seeing him in, in romantic comedies like this. I, unlike a lot of people, I like Six Days, Seven Nights, which was another romantic comedy he did, you know, about a decade and I- with Anne Hayes. I thought it was an enjoyable film. And for, it was. for what it was, I, he's OK in Sabrina, which came out in like the mid 90s. Um, it was a little bit too much of an age difference it kind of bothered me in that film and i i think i liked him better than humphrey bogart oh really yeah i i I did i i like the cast of the humphrey bogart film much better than the cast in this and that one although what they wanted to do for the cast in that one would have been very interesting having harrison ford and julia roberts and tom cruise which was the original idea for the cast of that film and it didn't pan out it just stayed with harrison ford you know, I, I just don't have it. There's not enough of him in it. I like what he does in it, but I, I find him the most uh, the the most accessible character and the character with the probably the best ethics, business ethics of everyone in the film. The next movie Harrison did with the director, Mike Nichols, was, I think, regarding Henry. Yeah. And um, he was kind of romantic in that because he had a accident and he's, he changed his personality. But. Yeah, I think he's good at drama and comedy. As much as people think of him as action in action and Star Wars and so forth, I do think he's quite good at drama. No, I, I think he is too. I think he's underappreciated. He he's had a success in action, and that's what people want to yeah. just pigeonhole him in. But I think he's 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 done a lot of good uh, dramas and good and, and decent comedies. He hasn't done a lot of comedies. He's done some comedies, but he's done some good dramas i would count the jack ryan films as dramatic films and those are more more drama than action and i think they're very well made all right Lori, you know i explain it to me why am i why am i supposed why am i supposed to like this film (laughs) i don't i just love it you know again it's not the best plot it's it's kind of it's kind of you know you have to suspend some belief but well, uh, let, let's, love- not, let's not talk about suspending just belief <laughs> explain to me why i i should not see her as vile as sigourney weaver if you take out just take out what sigourney weaver d- did to her which she never actually completed she never actually processed or started doing it and actually even brought it up before that she had later in the film hadn't given up on the idea but that she's going behind behind impersonating a business as somebody who works for Sigourney Weaver, uh, stealing her clothes <laughs> and p- potentially putting Jack Trainer's potentially putting Jack Trainer's career in jeopardy if it, if she's ever found out, uh, crashing weddings to further business. I mean, she's cutthroat. She's cutthroat. And this is this is supposed to be the the moral that okay she's she's a good character because because she got screwed over by Alec Baldwin and Sigourney Weaver pretty much in the same day you know when you put it that way it's a little <laughs> it's a little I, I guess Sigourney Weaver is so good in this that I disliked Catherine so much that I didn't have a problem with her and I guess I thought I, I guess I didn't see I didn't I was young when I first saw this okay <laughs> I guess I didn't um <laughs> I didn't think about how much she was putting Jack's career in jeopardy. I mean, and she was, and he got angry too, but he forgave her too. He got over it. Well, he got over it when he, when he figured out that she was the best way to get that deal done. 
No, they end up together. No, no, he cared for her, but he, you know, he he stands by her because he knows it's not Catherine's idea; it's her idea, and that Catherine and he does the right thing once he knows that. But there's a point in time where she's lied to him for a long period of time, including sleeping with him during that time frame. The argument you're putting forward, Patrick, is making me look at the movie differently. <laughs> I hate to say. You're convincing me, but I'm like Laurie. I'm trying to find pluck at things that I do like about it to argue with you about. She well, wasn't that bad. She was borrowing the clothes. <laughs> she was only borrowing the clothes that were worth a few thousand dollars, you know. That opportunity would not have came her way if those circumstances didn't happen. So she grabbed at it, and although it was a risk in uh, maybe jeopardizing Jack's career, it worked out. It's a Hollywood movie. And I think part of it is rooting for the underdog, too. You're just happy to see her, you know, she's worked so hard and, and has been hitting the glass ceiling that you're that I'm happy to see her succeed. But, Patrick, you're bringing up some really great points. Thanks a lot. I mean, cause when you <laughs> when, when you think about it, there's not much. And once again, this is the character. This is not even the attack on Melanie Griffith, the actress at this point. This is the attack on the character that. Granted, the other boys and whatever bullpen she was working in at the beginning of the film that put her in the, the limousine with Kevin Spacey, who which is which is a good cameo by the way, is you know the, they treat her like crap, and Kevin Spacey gets his come up, and so I have no problem with him treating him like crap. But then she comes back and she gets herself fired uh, out of spite, you know, towards this guy instead of going to HR, instead of reporting it, instead of doing something that would have taken care of the issue, she gets herself fired. So I question, but would it have taken care of the issue? I mean, I have, we know that I, I know what she did, did not take care of the issue. It ended up in her being fired. So I question her intelligence. I really do that. She's reacting from an emotional level that they tell her test. You've got to stop doing this. I can't place you in another job, which shows that she's a hothead. And the the idea that she's, you know, creating this, she keeps doing all these things and she's saying, oh, I can't get the uh, opportunity to, they, they won't give me the opportunity to succeed. Well, no, because you keep blowing yourself up all the time because you keep doing all this other crap. And I'm supposed to feel sorry for this guy and, or for this girl. And, you know, and then, I, you know, she just makes a, a, a long series of poor decisions that I do not. I do. She is not the access point for me for me to watch this film, and that's part of my problem. Is I don't really have an access point. I don't really empathize with any of the characters whatsoever, and that's probably why I struggled with this film in 1988, and I struggle with this film today. I never understood why. Oh, this is a film to champion women. I'm like, no, it's not. And it's unfortunate that <clears throat> the character of Catherine. It's always depressing to me when women fight each other or you know what I mean and and don't work well together and and um, that's another thing that I took away from this movie instead of how instead of saying hey I have a a good employee here and helping to advance her career Catherine you know steals her idea or did she steal her idea did she steal her idea she did okay yeah <clears throat> what, what how do you know that I mean other than the recording but, but she never acts on it and then at the end of the film she tries to at the end well, she does. She no, says, she does at the end after she knows that Tess betrayed her because she he reacts so strongly to it, to the fact that she opens uh, the diary uh, and sees that, you know, Tess is doing the work that she probably is missing out on. Well, but yes, think, but she tells Tess when she comes back 
that, hey, I haven't given up on your idea. I've been t- I was thinking about going to Jack Trainer and 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 whether whether she's telling a lie or she's just misinterpreting what Jack Trainer would do, but she tells Tess I haven't given up on it. So is she really that evil? Now she turns around and says it's her idea afterwards, but that's after she finds out that Tess has been sneaking around behind her back and trying to sell this deal. To me, it's like. I don't think, trust me, I don't think Sigourney Weaver's an innocent character. I do think that there, there was a little bit of back, you know, back um, stabbing on her part as well. But I, I do think there was a slight redemption before she finds about Tess's betrayal of her that she was like, I haven't given up on that idea. I think it still might work. Holy moly, Patrick, you're changing my mind on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, Thanks a lot, I have mate. To say, I'm having, yeah, I'm having a hard time arguing. <laughs> I mean, Tess, Tess, Tess basically steps into her boss's shoes and apartment. So, yeah, okay. What are you doing to me, Patrick? Okay. <laughs> I love this movie. Okay, well, hey, you could still love I, it. There's I still love wrong. this movie. I still love this movie. <clears throat> yeah. I just don't see and this gets, film as a film of gets, women empower, empowerment of women. I don't. Because this is not the way to do it. Breaking all the rules and taking risks that that jeopardize the careers of other people who don't know that their careers are being jeopardized is not the way for that's not a film about uh, female empowerment. That's and that's what this film was created and marketed as back in the days. And that is not that is not the case. And and what Laurie said, too, that it's also this message of. Sigourney Weaver's character, the Catherine Parker character, the fact that these two women can't strong women can't work together to to create a greater good or something like that, that they have to be they have to be in opposition to each other and have to backstab each other for this this plot to work is it's it's that's a sad statement on female empowerment that no, 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 you got to climb over everyone, even your sisters to do that. You know, that's what you have to do. I honestly never saw it as female empowerment, although she does treat her employee, as Shane said, better. No, I mean, the one redeeming scene of the film, the what that redeems her character at the end of the film is what has. No, I'm not going to treat those people the same way that I was treated on my way up. Okay, fine. That that's good. But you got that in the last 45 seconds of the movie. At least we got it. (laughs) This was released a little bit later in Australia. It was released in 1989 in March, which would have been around the same time I saw it because I did see it at the theatre. And I remember distinctly the advertising being either on the posters or maybe the ads on TV or the trailer that it was about girl power and making it happen. So they had that message back then. The New Jerusalem, the song, yeah. Yeah, even the song, of course. And Carly Simon being such a... I think she's very much into the uh, liberation, women's lib. So, yeah, I I just remember that distinctly. And I haven't watched it in full until again recently. So it was good to watch again. And I still had that message. But you're right. It wasn't as distinct as I remember it being advertised at the time. Anything else you want to talk about this film now, Laurie, now that I've pissed all over? (laughs) (laughs) I still like this film. I love the cinematography. I love the directing those scenes of New York city and of the ferry. I love the scenes on the ferry, um, are forever. I'm sorry. I have the hiccups. It's so annoying. Was that what that (laughs) noise was? (laughs) Yeah. Are forever embedded in my mind. I love this film. 
I love that that New York City is another character in this film, and it was also filmed at the at the World Trade Center, which um, in the lobby, which is which is sad to watch now that it's no longer there. No, it, 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 I agree with you. New York is distinctly a character in this film, and it is beautifully it shot. Good. Yeah, New no, York it, looks good and clean too. Yeah, and in the 1980s, it wasn't. It really, really wasn't at that time. <laughs> it wasn't until the 90s that it got good and clean. So th- that's kind of surprising in that regard. But it is very distinctly a character in this. And that opening shot that shows the World Trade Center, it is kind of sad. That like that was the first thought I had. It was like, wow, a film of a different era that you know that does not exist anymore. You couldn't, you can't make that shot anymore. Well, I guess you could with CGI, but it doesn't have the same effect. No. Uh, another thing about the start was the mm-hmm. I noticed was the office um, the, where I guess where Oliver Platt we saw him in a small role uh, that was he was another character that um, Tess got back on because he treated her like crap but that office just looked exactly and it might have been the same set as one of the offices in Wall Street now both made by 20th Century Fox so maybe they doubled up and used the same same desks and same everything but first thing i thought of was that's out of wall street that looked kind of familiar and we haven't spoken about um we spoke about kevin spacey alec baldwin i mean it's a there's he's another actor that wasn't big at the time but he his small role was pretty good he'd stepped straight out of i think she's having a baby probably before this i don't know what else he had done um, and Olympia Dukakis turned up. When in was it? Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice was eighty. Oh yeah, eighty-eight, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olympia Dukakis had a small role. I forgot totally about her. Um, I saw Ricky Lake. She was at the wedding in a scene, and I saw David Duchovny's David name Duchovny. in the credits, but yeah, I David- don't remember seeing him. The people that were hiding in the bathroom for her surprise party—he's one of those people. Oh, okay. No, I didn't spot him. It was a great who's who of up-and-coming actors, I thought, too. Yeah, it was an incredible supporting cast. And one of the few times you see Alec Baldwin and Harrison Ford in the film, seeing the two Jack Ryans cross over there at, at that point in time, and considering that the very next year is, or and not well, not the very next year, but um, in 1990, Hunt for October comes out, and that's where Alec Baldwin becomes Alec Baldwin. He becomes a lead actor at that point in time from that until he becomes a supporting actor in the late 90s and early 2000s. But. At this point, uh, The Hunt for Red October is the best Jack Ryan movie made, I think. I don't disagree with you there. I think it's, uh, even though I love the Harrison Ford ones, The Hunt for October was, it, it is... A, a you know kind of a ship in the bottle of 80s cold war and capturing the kind of the tone and the spy tone of that film that the other films although i like them uh they the, even those books are not the stronger book i don't think those are as strong of books as hunt for october their hunt for october has a much more linear storyline and is a better better overall film do you like joan cusack in this movie as her friend she stood by her and I thought as a character, it was good. I always loved Joan Cusack. She has a great, distinct look. (laughs) No, distinct look, distinct sound. She's she's all right. I mean, she's she's a character actor, and she fits into that role. Nora Dunn, I like Nora Dunn as the kind of the other, you know, high class bitch worker like Catherine Parker, who's storming into the office and stuff like that. But you didn't see her in very many films back in the day. Sigourney was also striking in this. She looked very nice. She was 
pretty. Even though I didn't like her character and she annoyed me, Catherine Parker, I think Sigourney was gorgeous at this point. Yeah, I mean, she, she always is. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings mm-hmm. up my next point. It's once again, it's because Laurie's here. I have to ask this question because I'm very curious. Laurie, is Melanie Griffith 80s hot? I think she's very pretty. Okay, that's not the question. She's very pretty. 80s hot. What's 80s hot? Define 80s hot. If you don't know what it is, I can't define it for you. <laughs> Shane. I don't. I don't. Is she 80s hot, Shane? I'll I'll give my answer in a second, but I'll help you, Laurie. It's if it's like if you think of actresses in the eighties uh, and the the clothes they wore and the hairstyles they had, was she hot compared to others? Yes, agreed. Yes, right. she is, Patrick. Right. Terry two thousand was she was good looking in that with that red red hair. All right, I'm sorry. The correct answer was no. <laughs> no was the correct answer. Not 80s hot. Sigourney Weaver, I, I've, I'm on record on a previous podcast and lunchtime movie review of Alien where we talked about Sigourney Weaver, and I don't find her very hot, although I think she looks great in this film. I think this is one of her – she's most attractive in, in, in this role. Um, she's not so much an alien, but um, when she's playing like a space trucker, but you know, playing Wall Street – bitch i guess she's she she comes off pretty well and i think she looks pretty attractive but melanie griffith i, I she, she looks like she's strung out on trucks and boozing it up she looks bloated and she she looks red faced to me a lot it, she, i never thought she was that attractive in this film and why they put that random topless scene in that it's this is a mike nichols film and i'm going you didn't need that it didn't do anything yeah. to the story why did you throw that in there i mean it just bought you know I, i'm i'm all for female nudity but usually it's like usually if it's i i understand something that's gratuitous that's gratuitous that didn't move the story along hey i'm gonna just vacuum topless okay but why what did that do <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it was trying to make a point of maybe that she's being liberating, but I totally didn't remember that. I I hadn't, I totally forgot about that. So I was sort of surprised, but I have a feeling that somewhere in between the bonfire of the vanities and the remake of Lolita is when Melanie Griffith got her like lips all blown up and she's had Botox done. That was the downfall beginning of the downfall and up until bonfire of the vanities i thought she was gorgeous and definitely 80s hot between that i think bonfire of the vanities is the next big thing she does after this and she looks so much better in bonfire of the vanities i don't know if she had work some work done by then um or if it was just because she got cleaned up and she wasn't using drugs and drinking so much that that's why she thinned down and she just she looked a lot healthier there's very few films of hers that I like, but the one role that I really liked her in, which is strictly a supporting role, um, and also has a scene of gratuitous nudity that had no purpose whatsoever, is Nobody's Fool with Paul Newman, which came out like 1995, 1996. And I thought she was great in that film, and I thought that film is an unappreciated gem that, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. A good Melanie Griffith film. Who would have thought it, Laurie? Bruce, Bruce Willis was good in it, too. <clears throat> yeah, unbilled. Un- he did not even, he's not even listed in the cast, although he's got a big role in the film. Yeah. Laurie, have you seen that one? No, I haven't. It's on the Voodoo account. You should watch it. It is really I will. good. It's really good. I mean, it is like, he was not, Paul Newman was nominated for Academy Award that year for that film, but he, it, he was, it was that good that he got nominated. I don't know if he should have won or anything, but it was that good. 
Yeah, that's a good point. It was a small role, but she she was. I mean, I like her anyway. But that was definitely one of her um, high points. Good film, nobody's fault. All right. Anything else we want to talk about before we wrap it up? Are you sure you never had that '80s big hair, Laurie? Oh, she did. She did. Oh, I I had big hair, but not that big. No, okay. and there were girls that had it that big. Oh yeah, that I dated I one of them. That you know, but I never had it that big. I I was. <laughs> halfway there because <laughs> even would, the extra it, i just noticed in the background and the extras on the ferry or where they were walking through the streets of new york i didn't yeah. see anyone with hair as big as uh, her and joan <laughs> yeah. someday yeah she, that took too much teasing for yeah. me I, I i didn't tease it that much <laughs> there must have been a ton of hairspray yeah. oh hair when grunge in the early 90s hairspray stock yeah. plummeted <laughs> Uh, Shane, I will find the pictures at some point in time. It was not that big, but it was pretty big. So Lori didn't keep yeah. her hair up that often. But there, I have one picture where it was like, "This is a picture of you." <laughs> was you... it prom? No, it was. Like, I that, think it was your was senior picture. I think it was in your senior picture. Uh, the last little note I want to make is: Have either of you watched the television show? Because this had a TV spinoff, With... and Sandra Bullock oh, played about the that, role yeah. of Tess. <gasps> Really? Yeah, for I'd never saw it, but because uh, it might not have even, it might not have even screened down under. But I know of it because it's Sandra Bullock, yeah. and I just never saw it. But yeah, there was a TV spinoff. Yeah, D- debuted in nineteen ninety, lasted twelve episodes before it was canceled. Maybe that, that's why I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Sandra Bullock, and you can imagine at that period that would have been really early in her career too. So. Yeah, it might have been a step, even even though the uh, the show only went twelve episodes, it could have been a stepping stone for her. Well, she was you know on because we just reviewed Pretty Woman recently. She was also one of the actresses cons, uh, considered for Pretty Woman, and that came out in nineteen ninety well, as well. Sense. They're around the same age, so that makes sense. Yep. All right, let's wrap it up. What do you think of Working Girl, and does it stand the test of time, Lori? I think I know your answer. I like this film. I think it does stand the test of time. You've um, had me question the ethics of the film, and that's okay. But I still, I have to agree with some of your points, but I still like this film. Shit. I'm, I'm going to give it. Uh, how, many, uh, how many lunch boxes, Lori? <laughs> what? How many lunch boxes? <laughs> how many lunch boxes? Thank you. Uh, I'll give it. I'm going to give it four lunch boxes. Oh. Shane. I agree with Laurie agreeing with you, Patrick, that you're twisting our thoughts on this movie. That said, it's four out of five hairspray cans for me. I, I love it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's charming and I do like Melanie Griffith. I don't know, maybe I just liked her you know, growing up in different films and she's definitely not the same Melanie Griffith as I remember. But watching this movie again, having not seen it for such a long time I used to recommend it to people all the time, and I forgot actually how much I did enjoy it. It's, it's great, and, and it's good to see Harrison Ford in a, in a lighter role, a rare role that he excels in. Good movie. All right. I didn't really care for the movie that much back in the day, although I own it, and the only reason I own it is because Harrison Ford's in it, and I'll watch almost anything because Harrison Ford is in it. 
I can't stand Melanie Griffith. I couldn't stand her back then. I can't stand her now. I think she's a horrible actress. I don't think she's any good in this film. And unfortunately, she's supposed to carry the film, and I think she falters. I, I don't think it stands the test of time. I think this film is incredibly dated. Uh, music and wardrobe, I, I know it is, a, you know, it's a snapshot of what the late 80s were, but it doesn't, you know, the, the story is supposed to be kind of a, a universal carryover of a romantic storyline, and it just it, lo- it just looks out of, so out of place by today's standards. I will give it two inches of teased hair, rather, out of five. <laughs> and the two inches come because of Sigourney Weaver and Harrison Ford, who are both very good in this film. And, and the supporting cast is pretty good in this film. Alec Baldwin's pretty good. Joan Cusack's pretty good. Oliver Platt, Kevin Spacey, uh, David Duchovny yelling surprise out of a bathroom is pretty good. But unfortunately, there's too much rides on Melanie Griffith's uh, over uh, shoulder padded work outfit shoulders and she doesn't she's not able to carry it through and I just don't buy her in the character I don't find the character sympathetic and therefore I don't like the film in general so I do not believe it stands the test of time I bought the DVD for the podcast Patrick and it cost me $8.40 is that too much? No that's in Australian dollars <laughs> to you know. is that yeah, I thought so. What do you think, Patrick? I, I don't know. How does that translate to eight dollars and forty cents in the United States? That doesn't. I buy crappy movies uh, for six ninety nine. In so American that's... dollars, it'd be about twelve bucks. Yeah, I don't. I, I would have paid that. And I love the Carly Simon song, even though we hear variations of it. It's a good song, and it deserved the Academy Award. It's and I'm happy to have great. Working Girl in my yeah. now in my collection. <laughs> I think the song also helps set the movie. And it's another character in the movie, too, because they use it so much. Yeah, that all gets overplayed way too much. So. I don't think so. And I like how they how it, they mixed it up. And like Shane said, there were so many variations. And it kind of cracked me up when they were looking at the chandelier and it started playing <laughs> it as an or- with organ music. Yeah. Well, that does it for this week's review of Working Girl. Thanks for joining us for our little bi-weekly podcast, I guess. I guess it's not really bi-weekly. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Facebook at Lunchtime Movie Review or on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie. On either Facebook or Twitter, you can keep up on your written film reviews, news on upcoming films and Blu-ray releases, and information on upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network, including The Golden Age of the Silver Screen, Sunday Seconds with the Duke, and Movie House Memories. Again, if you've enjoyed yourselves and you've downloaded us off either iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate our podcast on either one of those two platforms. And if you have a chance, write a short review of the podcast. Of course, we always like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Till next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Lori. And I'm Shane. And we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited.
This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for lunchtime movie review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.